Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. Mark Saunders and his wife Arlene were give, living the good life in Portland, Oregon, when they decided to make a change, a big change. They put their home on the market, packed up their aging Audi, and headed south, way south, to Mexico. Mark wrote about their adventure in his funny and very touching book, Nobody Knows the Spanish I Speak. We're hearing a lot about Mexico these days, mostly from Americans who may have va vacationed there but never actually lived there. Mark and Arlene spent more than 10 years south of the border. They are now back in Oregon, having returned to be near Mark's aging father. But they still have friends in Mexico and get back there occasionally to visit and reconnect. Mark is here to talk with us about what it was like to be part of the expat community in Mexico and how what we read about the country is not actually an accurate picture. Hello, Mark. I should say hola, Mark, right? Um, I suppose well, if, if, my, if my high school Spanish were better, we could do this in Spanish. But uh, how was how your Spanish after all this time in Mexico? Well, my high school Spanish was probably not much better than yours. It, it might have even have been worse. Um, I had one year of Spanish. And the only thing I remember, I don't know about what lessons you were taught, but um, I, I, if my car were to break down in the middle of Mexico, I could ask for directions to the library. <laughs> right. OLL Bibliotheque, right? <laughs> yeah. OLL is Balcomosan and then Bibliotheque, you know. Right, right. So, uh, and, you know, I have to hope there's a mechanic at the library, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, I, I, I'm, my Spanish is modest. We, we took, uh, we enrolled in a Spanish course when we lived there the first time. And we took, uh, you know, the, the, the basics. Uh, and the second time we lived there, we, we didn't, uh, because you get to a point where you have to be very serious about it and it takes a lot of time and effort uh, because it, the, the basic conversational stuff is easy. That's pretty easy. But then you get into present tense, past perfect, and all this stuff, and future perfect, and it gets complicated. Sure. And we just didn't want to spend our time Doing all, learning all of that. Well, it's one of the reasons actually we picked San Miguel is because it's pretty much a bilingual town. Mm -hmm. It's it's very cosmopolitan in a in in that sort of way. People are Mexico. A lot of the tourists now come from Mexico City, and they have houses there. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's so Spanish does help. I mean, it's it enhances your experience. But if you know just a little bit, and that's what we. We, we knew a little bit, um, you can get by. So, Mark, let's go back. Uh, tell us why you made the decision the first time to move to Mexico. Oh, sure. Uh, well, quite frankly, Mexico was never on our retirement list. We were more interested in Europe. Um, but in 2004, both of our jobs were going away. We were in different ends of high tech. Arlene, Arlene my wife, was a director of, with a hardware engineering company, and she's much smarter than I am and was the highest ranked woman in the company's engineering department. I was a marketing manager in a software firm at a different company, and my company was acquired by another company. And if you're in the soft skills like marketing or HR, they pretty much come in and they line you up against the wall and shoot you. <laughs> so, you know, I was gone. So, I, you know, my job was going away. But um, so we were in our late 50s, and we didn't know what to do next. We were both tired of high tech in some ways, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And uh, and we enjoyed it, but still a lot of pressure. And we could try to stay in Portland, it's Portland, Oregon. And 
find new high-tech jobs, but at our age, it would be very hard to get hired again, even though we had connections and roots there. So we discussed staying in Portland uh, by cobbling together enough income from part-time jobs, but you know that didn't seem very satisfying in the long term. So what, what happened, uh, well, in, in short, we didn't know what was next, but what happened was one of our, we lived in a condo in downtown Portland with this incredible million-dollar view of Mount Hood and Mount St. Helens, Mount Adams on a clear day in the Columbia River. River. But we didn't know uh, what was next. And, and uh, But somebody in our building had a house in Guanajuato. And are you familiar with Guanajuato and San Miguel? Uh, no, I'm not. I haven't been. Okay, Guanajuato City is is um, the capital of Guanajuato State. And San Miguel is in Guanajuato State. It, San Miguel is about one hour by car from Guanajuato. But Guanajuato is gorgeous. I mean, it just really gorgeous, but you have to be proficient in Spanish to, to survive there. Whereas San Miguel had an expat, uh, it was a soft landing, and that's what we wanted. It had an expat lifestyle in some ways. You know, it's where you could get your, people, expats in Guanajuato would have to go to San Miguel to get their mail from the States, that kind of thing. So okay. you had a lot of uh, structure in place for, for um expats in, in San Miguel. So we liked that. And um, we returned to Portland, began researching the options, and, and San Miguel was first. But we also, there's an area called Lake Chapala, which is south of uh, Guadalajara. And it's, uh, it, a, lot of, a lot of expats prefer that. But it didn't seem to have the culture or the history or, or any of the things. It's not a really walkable city. And Whereas San Miguel is one of the... Uh, triad of, of independent cities, you know, Dolores Hidalgo, Guanajuato, and, and uh, San Miguel were all instrumental in the Mexican fight for independence. Mm -hmm. they're, they're Philadelphia and they're Trenton and whatnot. Uh, and it's also, San Miguel is just, just gorgeous. It's just, um, so we, we selected uh, San Miguel and um, it's, but I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but it's a, since it became, after that it became a World Heritage, UNESCO World Heritage Site. And so it's a town of about maybe 100,000 in the town proper, and in the surrounding area maybe you have another 30, 40, 50,000 in the combo out in the small villages and stuff. But uh, the town doesn't have any traffic lights. It's all controlled by speed bumps. Mm. It doesn't have any glass buildings. It doesn't have any neon. It's very, looks like the 17th century in Europe. It's, it's just beautiful. Mm. So we sort of fell in love with it. And plus, coming from Portland, it was sunny all the time. And Portland, of course, is the opposite of that. Right, um, right. So we, we, we picked, uh, we went back uh, after that visit to Guanajuato. We went back and did all this research and, and decided, you know, here's an option we hadn't thought of. You know, we, we didn't know what we were going to do next, but we could just sell everything, uh, leave everything behind and, and kind of drop out and move to the middle of Mexico, which is what we did. And we didn't know anybody. We didn't know a soul, and, and we could barely speak the language. I'm, I'm maybe 50 yards ahead of my wife in Spanish, but not much better what, than that. What was the biggest adjustment you had, to, aside from the language, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make once you got there? Uh, probably, at least in a conceptual sense, it was living without an anchor, because we had never lived there before. We knew no one, could barely speak the language. So we were truly reinventing our lives at that point, knee-deep in the middle of this foreign country. But in a more, I guess, in a more day-to-day -day sense, um, but probably the biggest adjustment 
understanding the language and culture, which mm. proved to be an enjoyable adjustment. Mm. I mean, it is a, uh, I don't know if you know about San Miguel, but it is a fiesta town. There are parties, there, there are parades all the time, and there are fireworks going off all, all night long, and it's just, it, 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 it's, there's no other place like it in some ways. Uh, what was the, what was the, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, you know, the adjustment was harder, you know, to think about it, moving back to the States the first time. Our reentry was harder uh, because we fell in love with uh, the slower life, lifestyle, the, the friendlier, kind, kinder, gentler lifestyle, and the gracious people. And um, there, there was so much we loved about Mexico that it was hard for us to get back into the swing of things back in Portland. I, I think uh, that's very understandable. Yeah, you, you kind of get, we didn't, we drove down because we had pets, and, um, but we didn't really take our car anywhere. We walk, walked everywhere, the second time especially, because we, we lived outside, a 20-minute walk to the historic district, Centro, and we would walk in two or three times a day sometimes, so we'd go up there to get our mail or do some shopping and whatnot, and and you're at 6,000 plus, it's as high up as Lake Tahoe, so it's pretty high up, and doing all that walking, you, you feel, you know, you feel pretty good about yourself you know it's kind of like that and then back in the states we were we are always in the car always mm. so what what was the expat community like there was it easy to make friends uh, and, and where did where did they come from what other cities and states well um i, I was surprised because i think you have as many canadians there as you do americans oh. and, and talking about expats and uh they're very out uh, embracing because it's it's as if you're all from some. You're all from someplace else, and so you bond almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and those bonds can can sometimes fray or, or go away, and sometimes they stay. We made some great friends there. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact population count for the expat community is, but I've heard it runs anywhere from eight percent to twelve percent of the population. You know, expats come down from the northern tier. In winter, and they call them snowbirds, of course. Mm-hmm. And then during the summer, they come down from Texas, and they're called sweatbirds. <laughs> you know, but it still remains a small percentage of the city uh, year round. It's uh, uh, in, in our experience again. The expats were were also very generous and welcoming. They had a um, large number of nonprofits serving the local community, and these groups are mostly driven by expats. Mm-hmm. Um, and the expats we knew absolutely loved their their life. San Miguel. Um, on a more personal level, uh, because we're all from someplace else, we we had a, an open invitation movie night once a month on the third Wednesday of every month, and we called it Guilty Pleasures Night. And it was just these aren't art house films or indie films or anything. They're just check your brain at the door kind of films, you know. Where, uh, but they were fun, and people would show up. And it started with ten people. Uh, we'd clear out all of our furniture and create this this little TV room, uh, movie theater atmosphere. Uh, they'd come arrive at six, from six to seven. We'd we'd have food and drink and visit with everybody, and then and then we'd watch the movie from seven to eight thirty or nine, uh, and then people would leave pretty much after. Uh, and and what was interesting about about that is that it went it grew from ten to about thirty five at the end. And we didn't have a very large room, and we had a horrible TV. I mean, it was just kind of small. It wasn't a big screen TV, maybe 32 inches or something. Um, and it started, it 
it became a PG, what we call PG TV. It started losing its color, and it became everything became pink or green. <laughs> and so we had to get a new TV. Um, but it became like it got out of hand. I mean, it really got way out of hand. There was one Monday, third Monday of the month, we were having dinner, my wife and I, and then somebody rang the bell out in the gate on the street, and I walk out there, and it's a a man or woman I, I didn't know, and um, she was holding a food dish, and she asked me, is tonight uh, movie night? And, you know, I had that cartoon bubble, thought bubble over my head going, <laughs> who the hell are you? Because I didn't know that. And um, I said, no, it's on Wednesday. And she turned, because obviously a married couple, she turned to her husband, hit him in the arm and said, I told you we should have called first. <laughs> and, and they showed up that Wednesday, and to this day, I still don't know who they are. I mean, I probably should have made a point of introducing myself, but, but that was the time that we decided uh, movie night had gotten out of hand, and we were we had to cancel that, but it was fun. I mean, people, if, so at San Miguel, expats especially, people come and go. They're, they're there for three months, and then they're back in the States, or they're there for six months, and then back in the States. So people knew every Wednesday, third Wednesday just to show up at that time. It was never a B, uh, RSVP thing. Uh, and so it was always nice to see people that you haven't seen for a while. They would show up and, and we'd get to visit. But that uh, that was fun, but it got got kind of crazy and old. And our dog, is, our dog Duke, is, is like 90 pounds. He's a standard, uh, uh, I, what's the color, uh, like, like uh, either, yeah, uh, champagne, mm-hmm. you know, dusty kind. sounds like it was less about the movie and more about just getting together and it seeing was people. yeah nobody really cared about the movie that much yeah. it was that's why it was guilty pleasures it was i mean when we did my cousin Vinny, for example everybody's seen that movie right. so we had a we had a uh, question and answer like a jeopardy quiz before the, the show to see who would knew my cousin Vinny better than everybody else so yeah it wasn't about the movie itself yeah. it was just seeing people and it was it was always a pleasure when you haven't, haven't seen somebody for a while that all of a sudden they show up. So that, uh, so that was the, expat. those were yeah. the expats. Uh, what about the locals? How did the locals react to uh, you being there? You know, I, um, I, I never experienced anything other than uh, affection from, from the locals. And, and I know there was probably some kind of anti-expat sentiment. But, but um, for example, Anna and Maria, the two housekeepers, their sisters we used the first time we lived there, were very happy to see us again. And, and the second time we lived there, Maria and her daughter-in-law cleaned her house twice a week for five years during her second stay. We went to their, uh, we went to uh, Anna's, I think, Anna's uh, daughter's wedding. And we were one of only, there was only one other expat couple at the wedding mm-hmm. everybody else local and that was amazing it was they they did something really 
interesting. They, they carried the bride around in the chair. It was something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost looked like like uh, a different culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they were, I just can't emphasize enough how gracious they were to us. And I don't know, it, it, it would hurt, hurt us to hear so the way some people were talking about Mexico and Mexicans in mm-hmm. the States. Mm-hmm. That was a dark experience. Um, I mean, I, I tell you a little story. Um, this, I think this captures it. One New, Year, one New Year's Eve, we were celebrating at a restaurant, you know, just a short walk from where we lived, with a party of 10, all expats. There were a b- bunch of people in the restaurant, but our party was just all expats. And at midnight, all the diners in the restaurant uh, a mix again, a mix of Mexicans and expats left their tables and walked to the terrace to watch the fireworks because, you know, again, they, they eat, sleep, and drink fireworks. We raised our glasses and toasted each other at midnight with a happy new year. Uh, and then, after a brief pause, this young Mexican man raised his glass and toasted the expats on the terrace, telling us, and I still remember this, it just, I, I was stunned, telling us, thank you for still believing in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I thought, special. Wow. That's one of, you know, I, I just thought that was really, really special. Uh, and then one other thing I want, if, if I have time, I'd like to tell you the, about the miracle of the car wash because we lived on a mixed use, short and busy street. Um, cars would drive anywhere from five miles an hour to 50 miles an hour in the street. It was pretty crazy. And the cobblestones everywhere. Uh, on one side were eight houses, which is the side we lived on. On the other side were businesses and, and, and a mix of businesses from an auto parts store to a religious relic store to a small beer store, anything, what else. They had the best bakery in town there at the end of the street and so on. I could walk to one of three car washes on the street. You know, and these were all old school car washes, water hose, soap, towels, manual labor, nothing mechanical. And we rarely had our car washed because two hours later it would be covered in dust. You know, it was, what was the point? But one day I thought it was time to get it clean. So I, and, and, and remember, they, I could walk to these car washes. There, there's one I could stand in front of my gate and probably throw a water balloon and hit them. <laughs> they were that close. It was right across the street. So I took my car there. And car wash guy said it would be ready in an hour. So I walked back across the street, went upstairs to my office. Sure enough, an hour later, he was at our gate. And he looked worried and said there was a problem. I thought, okay, perhaps they scratched the car. But that's not a big deal because... We, we have already had a lot of scratches on it. it. Although we'd only lived there a few years, four years at that point, it the car looked like it had lived there for 40 years and mm-hmm. been in a jungle. jungle. It, was, it was beat up. So that's okay. It was, but it was mostly scratches, little light things. So I walk over with them, and there in the area where they washed the car deep in the well was my car. Uh, only the car's rear end had been totally smashed. Wow. He apologized and said he would take care of it. And apparently what happened, uh, after they washed my car, they were backing it out under the street when a truck hit my car at neck speed and kept driving, you know, just boom. Um, so I wasn't, I was stunned, but I was also furious. I walked back home, and I'm ranting in front of Marlene. I, I told her all I wanted was a $5 car wash. <laughs> now I was looking at a $1,000 repair bill. I paced and I ranted, and if you remember... Did you ever see Inside Out, the animated film with the girl with the... Yes, um, yes. Okay. With all the, the emotions? Yes. 
blind fear and all that. And anger. Okay, anger was a square shape. If you remember, <laughs> creature with flames coming out of the top of his head. And it was Louis Black that was the voice they used. And I had like walking back to my house. I had like four or five Louis Blacks jumping upside up up and down in my my chest. Arlene tried to calm me down and suggested I go next door and see if our neighbor neighbor David could help. David is dual citizen, born and raised in Mexico City. He went to the U.S. as an adult and entered the nursing profession. He and his wife retired to San Miguel. And David was my mentor in all things mysterious about Mexico and Mexicans. David and I go over there and we check out my car. And by this time, car wash guy had brought in his cousin from the compo, body shop guy, okay, who told David he can fix the damage and asked when I needed the car back. So David relays the question to me. And it's, it's Wednesday, and I don't need my car back until Friday. But I, I was not feeling particularly generous, so I said, tomorrow, Thursday, at noon. Body shop guy told Dave, David, he'll have my car back by 11. We shake on it. As David and I walk back across the street, I'm suddenly feeling, feeling optimistic. This might work out after all, you know. It's, it, a cloud has been lifted, birds are chirping, the sun's shining. I'm suddenly optimistic. And... Then David turns to me and says, prepare to be disappointed. And I, I didn't know how to take that. But I'm one of the lightest sleepers of the world. And that night was, was a tough night. I, I, I was beating myself up for giving the keys to our car to someone I don't even know. I can't communicate with. I don't have no idea where he lives. I had no proof. He didn't sign any documentation saying that he was taking my car. And he had my car and he had my keys. I, I had no idea if I was ever going to see the car again. It could be in a chop shop, getting disassembled as the night wore on. But at 11 that morning, body shop guy showed up with my car. The rear end looking as good as new. I mean, I was stunned. Living in Mexico is like that. Every day I had a new surprise. In, in the States, I would have had to fill out an insurance claim, pay the deductible, still fight with the insurance company, blah, blah, blah. In this case, I didn't spend a dime or a peso beyond the cost of getting the car washed, as well as a nice tip for, you know, body shop guy. Did, I mean, it, it was, did you feel bad it, it out, <laughs> that you but, had doubted him? Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, so we, I, I was just stunned. I was, I like to tell that story because they didn't have to do anything. They were under no legal obligation to, to fix my car. They could have just blown me off. Right, right. But they didn't. And, um, and he didn't really know me. We just waved to each other every now and then. But um, they did. And I was, I always liked that about him. There was a, a desire to, to make things right, mm-hmm. to do a thing, yeah. to make it right. It's a great story. So, Mark, after five years, you moved back to the United States. Uh, why did you and Arlene do that? Uh, for the usual reasons, uh, people our age return, uh, you know, from either U.S. or Canada, uh, family and medical. My father is still alive. He recently turned 94, and he lives in Sacramento, uh, I wanted to be closer geographically to assist as he aged. Uh, but I didn't want to live in Sacramento because I had a couple of years there. Have you, did, did you ever, have you seen the movie Lady Bird? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah, it was a wonderful movie. A wonderful movie. Uh, yeah, wonderful movie. But she had a much better perspective on Sacramento <laughs> than I did. But anyway, so the medical reason was uh, probably the primary motivator. We had decent medical care in San Miguel at a very basic level. But if anything serious were to happen, we would have to return to the States. This is true for almost everybody there. You can buy policies. You can buy uh, international health care policies. They're starting to accept those. 
and you probably want to buy uh, Metaflight, med- medical flights out, out of the country to a uh, hospital in the States if something very serious happens. Mm-hmm. But we had heard stories that, um, and we have a friend who had a very serious problem, and, and he had them, that Metaflight insurance, and uh, it took them so long to get him out of, he was in Ziwatneo at the time, and to get him out of there, uh, he had a stroke. Um, mm. But they, and they and they fed him. They, they didn't know what to do, so they just gave him uh, liquids, mm. which filled up lungs and which gave him pneumonia. You know, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. So by the time he got out to Texas, he was uh, partly paralyzed. Oh dear. And yeah, so yeah, you know, it's the the basic stuff is good, and if you're you're uh, rich enough, of course, you can get the best care. They have some very uh, sophisticated hospitals in Guadalajara and Caretro, uh, uh, which is not not far from San Miguel, and and, and, uh, and you know you can you can you can pay for those. But mm-hmm. we, you know everything else is it, it, pretty much everything's out of pocket, mm-hmm. and they will advance back unless you until you pay. So if something serious were to happen, uh, we we would we would have been in trouble. Um, but so medical is the primary reason, and and we both again we both have we're both I'm in the VA system, and we're both in Medicare, and we can't use any of that down there. Yes, yes. It's interesting though because we hear stories all the time about uh, Americans going to Mexico for dental work, for instance, and uh, other medical procedures that are supposed to be cheaper and better down there. So that's true for med- uh, dental. Yeah, uh, we didn't have we had a lot of dental work done. Yeah, it's true for dental. It's cheaper and it's high quality stuff. They mm-hmm. they do good good work. And there's also a um, a um, something about booming business in uh, cosmetic surgery down there too. Right, I mean, right. There's thing. What's that? I said yes. Cosmetic surgery. That is a big thing we hear about. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we had friends that did that had it done. And, and the the guy who's the most popular cosmetic surgeon in, in that area uh, is uh, masterful. He's just an artist. Mm-hmm. He was really good. But if you have um, Anything. We had a, uh, a, a good friend who had a cough and she couldn't get rid of the cough. And finally, she was going to an alternative doctor, and, and the doctor was giving her strange stuff. And finally, we said, and we used to use this alternative doctor, you know, alternative medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. Have to go to this other doctor, our primary care there, and he had X-rays done and all stuff, and, and something showed up in her, in her throat and esophagus, esophagus, um, and. He told her to get back to the states right away, mm. and she did. She was gone for like nine months. She had uh, major surgery. She was like a miracle patient because they caught it at a very early stage, you know, um, esophageal cancer. Uh, but that was only because she went and had a second opinion there, and then the, the second opinion said, "Get back to the states. We can't handle this here." And that's true. I mean, they, you know, if it's a very serious medical problem uh, you probably want to go to the states anyway if you're talking about a brain brain tumor you probably want to have it done in the states right, right. so but, Mark, uh, yes well so you've been back in the US now for a while how often do you get back to Mexico and what do you do when you go back well we just went back uh, I was going to ask if it's okay to give up plug for the San Miguel Writers Conference? Sure, absolutely. Okay. 
there's this conference that takes place in mid mid uh, February, five day conference. It's just fantastic, and uh, for and you have keynotes, evening keynotes, afternoon keynotes. You have uh, workshops, uh, ninety minute workshops in the morning, and, and then one day you have three hour workshops. It's just great. It's it's hard to believe that that that, that it happens there in the middle of Mexico in this small town. Uh, it's the San Miguel Writers Conference and Literary Festival. And I'll give you an idea of some of the keynote speakers. We they had uh, Gloria Steinem, uh, uh, Calvin Trillin, Alice Walker, Margaret Atwood, Bar- Barbara Kingsolver. So they get they get some big names. They had Wally Lamb this last year when we went back. So, uh, but, so we returned this last February for two weeks because uh, I, was, I submitted a proposal and it was accepted. So I was on the faculty this year and taught a 90-minute workshop on writing humor. And uh, I also gave a book reading as well as a talk to a playwrights group and had one of my short plays performed off book in front of about, God, I think it was like about 700 people. It was amazing. And uh, in our first two days back, and again, this is February, the conference is mid-February, and we, we showed it, we arrived about a week before. So our first two days were cold and wet and as if we were still in the Pacific Northwest. But after that, it was dry and sunny and mid-70s every day. So that's the normal weather for February. So uh, so we went back. That's the only time we've been back so far. And we plan, we hope to go back again. But but the San Miguel Writers Conference, I, I can't, uh, Susan Page runs it, and, and she has a great team. Of, uh, it, it's just amazing. I think it's in its 12th, 13th, 14th year. I can't remember. But it's, it's well worth going to. It um, sounds wonderful. If you, if you get a chance, you might want to check it out. It's just yeah. uh, highly recommend. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, can Can you compare and talk about a little bit about you know the conversations you might have had with locals back then and with people that you saw this last time when you were there? I mean, you know, any conversations that struck you as being different given the you know times we're in now? Uh, yeah, it has changed. Um, we left San Miguel before Trump was elected. In fact, I I promised Arlene that wasn't going to happen. So, because she didn't want to go back if that was going to happen. I said, it's not going to happen. So, so I, I've been eating crow for <laughs> it was a day for quite a while now. But, but during our first time in San Miguel, it was 
some discussion about the wall. I think they, they you know, they, they, they didn't engage us. As expats, you're not allowed to be involved politically in Mexico when you live in Mexico. Mm-hmm. You can get deported. Really? Yeah, so you can't be actively involved in anything that's Mexico-related politically. And so what and does going, that mean? Oh, you couldn't march or hold a sign or do anything you like could, that? You could march for something like um, the Women's March. Okay. Or, yeah, you can do that, but you couldn't participate in any kind of political activity uh, against, for or against a Mexican politician, for example. Interesting. Um, hmm. You get you could get deported, so you had to be careful about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, you know, when we, he wasn't, the wall wasn't really, I mean, we had a partial fence uh, even back then, uh, our first time there on the southern border, but the idea of a wall really took off uh, with Trump's candidacy and presidency, and, and he wasn't there when we lived there, so it wasn't a topic that came up a lot. But here's the local joke, and you probably you might have heard this about the wall, is that Mexican laborers would probably be the ones to build it. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, this did want to mention that about the expat community. That's where I was going with this uh, about the wall and the expat community. I mean, they they're very anti-walls, you can imagine. And they've, they've been outspoken. They, they did Robert Schenken's uh, play, Building the Wall. Mm-hmm. They did down there a uh, special performance. And um, and they, uh, I'm trying to think, though more important than just the cultural side of it is the uh, nuts and bolts side of it. You know, they, the community has responded to helping these deported and de- displaced citizens, Mexican citizens, often, you know, as you know, often they're deported and they're sent back without any provisions into an area barely familiar to mm-hmm. them. And um, and expats and locals have been helping them resettle. They raise money and provide assistance to those sent back. They, they get find housing, uh, clothing, jobs. So there, there's that activity going on, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not uh, political. I'm sure that's but, very helpful for the people who have been sent back. Yeah, because, you know, the, the average age, well, talk about dreamers, let's jump to that just for a second. The the average age of a young child, that's a dreamer, that, that when the child crossed over with his or her parents, is six, six years old. Mm. So how can you, how can anybody justify holding a six-year-old legally responsible for the actions of his parents or her parents. Right. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's just mean. So, um, anyway, it's just, I, you know, down there people are pretty agitated. They're agitated about it and, and they're, they're fighting back the best way they know how. And, and again, right now, it's political season. There, there's a presidency, a uh, presidential campaign running right now as we're talking in Mexico. And, Right. They elect president for one term for six years or something, I think. And, mm-hmm. and they have a, I think they have a much better system. They only allow you to, uh, uh, candidates to run for a certain number of weeks or months. I can't remember how many. It's not not a year. I don't think it's less than a year. You mean the campaign? And they control the amount of, yeah, they control the amount of money that they can spend on advertising. And, and they're not allowed to advertise, I think, 72 hours before an election, before the vote or something mm-hmm. uh, you know they have some processes in place that I think are we could we could look at 
but um, we we had we had um, on our street they had a lot of polls, you know, like because everything is old school. Um, we had all these polls, and we had an election there when we were there. One morning we would wake up and you'd see all these posters of these people running for office on all these all these uh, polls, telephone polls, whatnot. And the next morning you'd wake up and they'd all be defaced. <laughs> They'd have mustaches and glasses and all that stuff. So there's a undercurrent of um, satire that's still alive and well. Yeah, it seems to be. How how would you, what would you advise Americans or Canadians even who are thinking of pulling up stakes like you did and moving either to Mexico or to another country? What what are the best things you've learned about this adventure that you feel could benefit others? Well, I, I would do it. I would, but first, um, you know, do some research. If you, if you think you're going to, you might like living in San Miguel, uh, spend time there before moving, uh, try a week or two weeks, then move up to a month or two months. And, and, and also rent before buying. A lot of real estate deals are still cash deals. Most of them are cash deals down there, as I understand it, uh, without a mortgage. So depending on your circumstances, buying property there could be tie up a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, San Miguel real estate is hot, but that can change. Um, we were there, no, we were back in the States for the Great Recession in 2008. And uh, property values dropped even in San Miguel. And a lot of houses, a lot of people who had expats who had second houses in San Miguel really took a beating because they... They had to let go of those houses, and they had to sell them for pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would, I would say that Mexico is a beautiful country, and the people are gracious and friendly. And if you decide to move there, you can choose between urban and rural, beach and mountain. Um, so yes, I would definitely recommend Mexico. I mean, we love it. It's and it's a it's a huge country. I don't know if people realize that how big it is. Yeah, but it, and it's gorgeous. Mm. Um, and we were in again. We were. At, as high as Lake Tahoe, 6,200 6, feet up or something. Not quite the middle of the country, but if you threw a dart and hit the middle of Mexico, but you skewed northeast a little bit, you would probably hit San Miguel. Um, but it, it, it's still 6,200 feet up, and yet we never had snow. I think maybe we had a dusting one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a rainy season, June, let me see, April and May are the kind of most challenging months. Um, because of the dry, dusty weather. And then the, the rain usually comes in in June, sometimes late June, but it comes in and it rains uh, the way rain was meant to be utilized. It rains late in the afternoon and uh, at night, and then in the morning everything's bright and clean and fresh, and it's beautiful. Um, and so rainy season is from, and it can rain heavily mm-hmm. um, from, June to probably through September. And then after that, you get into the winter, which is just gorgeous. They call it the city of eternal spring. Um, and yeah. that's probably a fair description. That sounds uh, wonderful. But if, they, if somebody's really interested, there is a Yahoo group they can join called Civil List. And, um, and they'd have to search it. Uh, or I can send you the link, but it's they'd have to join. And that is a list of people that currently live, ex-types who currently live in, in San Miguel or used to live there. Anyway, you can ask questions and people, you can find a place to live or rent. You can, um, 
you can get a lot of advice from them, legal advice and whatnot. Um, so I, you know, we would definitely, we have no regrets about doing that. We, we just love that if we were, wish we could have stayed. But um, again, we're getting to the point where family and medical, it was time to call an end to it. Uh, but uh, sounds like your it, sounds like your timing was good, Mark, and it sounds yeah, like it was well, a that, great experience. That, yeah, it was. Um, no, San Miguel doesn't have an international airport, but it's a little less than two hours from an international airport in Caretero, mm-hmm. and a little more than two hours from an airport in Leon. Uh, it's also about a four-hour shuttle car bus ride from Mexico City, mm-hmm. uh, which has a huge international airport, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to. Uh, I like to think, you know, when I said my books to apply, so when I, I paraphrase Henry James, I don't remember this, it's, I said, it, it's time to start living the life you always imagined. Right. And in my, in my case, it was a life I couldn't have imagined. And now having, having lived it, I can't forget. You know, it was just, it'll always be a, a special chapter in our lives. Well, that um, sounds like a nice place to end this. Mark, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Women Around Town. We've been speaking with um, Mark Saunders and pick up his book, Nobody Knows the Spanish I Speak, if you are thinking of making a big move uh, to Mexico or even to another country to find out what this experience might be like. So thank you very much for listening.